first of all, I want to thank everybody for coming out. Uh, I'm taking your Friday night uh, and uh, drawing together. Uh, I was talking to a person today, and I made this statement. They were thinking about coming, and I said, if you think you're going to come tonight and be all happy, um, <clears throat> you may be uh, disappointed. Um, I remember growing up as a, as a kid that we kept calling this day Good Friday. And there's a part of me that said, what? How is it good? Now, please, I think it was a good Sunday. Okay? But for all intents and purposes, had you been there that evening... 2,000 years ago, I can't think that you'd be jumping around saying, Woohoo, this is great. And yet, we, we have celebrations. We, we have candlelight services on New Year's Eve, or Christmas Eve. Christmas, uh, we have um, Easter, uh, we all change eggs or chocolate rabbits or stuff like that. Um, we have the sunrise services that many of us are aware of. Um, and um, I wonder what we think about this Friday night. Because this Friday night would have been horrible 2,000 years ago. For everybody involved. However you cut it, however you look at it, whatever you think about it, we call it Good Friday. And don't get me wrong, I like the benefits out of it. But I believe that we who are called by His name forget the horror of that day. And by forgetting the horror of that day, our little uh, moral problems aren't that big a deal. And so tonight I hope to bring this back to focus. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. And I want to look at Matthew's Gospel, the 20, eh, pick a chapter, 26th chapter, weren't good for me. Father, we come before your throne. Father, thinking about, thinking about why we are even gathered here today. And Father, you in eternity past planned to redeem us. And Father, the price for that redemption was one that no man could ever pay. And Father, I don't even know that any man would have stood forth to pay it if it were possible. And yet you did it. Father, I thank you. I thank you for, for Good Friday. And Father, I am overwhelmed by Resurrection Sunday. Father, may we 
May we draw to it. Embrace it. Rejoice in it. And cherish it. To your praise and glory. Amen. Beginning at verse 47, I'm going to show you some things that are kind of amazing. Because when I think about people today, verse 47 through 56, chapter 26 of the Gospel of Matthew, everybody fits in that text. Every human being that's ever walked the planet, every human being who will ever walk the planet has walked into this text. Verse 47 says, While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came to accompany by a large crowd. All right, now he has had the Passover. They have celebrated Passover. He has left the upper room in downtown Jerusalem. He has crossed across the Kidron Valley. He's walked on the Mount of Olives. He's sitting there by in a grove of olives in an olive press, a place that you we call Gethsemane. And he's been talking to his disciples and explaining to him that it's almost over. And while he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied with a large crowd with swords and clubs. It's chief priests and elders of the people. Okay? Humanity falls into this slumping. These were morally correct people. These were people who believed that what they were doing was absolutely right. And I see the bulk of humanity falls into this, what I call the crowd. You need to understand something. Four days earlier, this same group said, Hosanna, King David. In four days, they're willing to arrest him. Now, he, he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus, said, Hail, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you... Did you hear what he said? Do you not understand what that means? It is somebody who knew Jesus. It's somebody who hung out with Jesus. It's somebody who watched Jesus. It's someone who was Jesus' friend. Friend, do what you come for. And then they came, they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. So out of the group, you will see that there are people who will claim to be friends of Jesus. They have seen the work of Jesus. They have understood what it means to be close to Him. They grasp that. They know that. You have the mob that is just swayed by whoever wants to sway it. But in that mob, you will have people who will eagerly and easily betray Jesus. And you know what? I guarantee you that everyone in this room at one point in time has done that. Has done that. They came, they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized Him. And behold, the one, those who were with Jesus, reached, drew out His sword. Now, this is what I call the frail disciple. 
Okay? Listen, if you're saved tonight, you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? You are a learner, a student of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we are a little bit frail. Standing next to Jesus, Peter drew a sword and he swung, struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Let me tell you something. I'm not a deep theologian. He was not aiming for the ear. Okay? But if you watch Peter, whenever Peter is very close in proximity to Jesus, what happens? The old boy can walk on water. All right? He looks at a crowd, at a mob that is coming to arrest Jesus. He pulls out a sword and does what? Cuts off Malchus's ear. Now listen, everybody says, I'd do that. No, 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 no. It's a frail. That's the frailty of Peter. Why? Well, he was close to Jesus. Why did he do that? Jesus had already told him that he must go to Jerusalem and be handed over to evil and die. And Peter said, uh-uh. And what was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. So what was Peter doing when he pulled out the knife and swung at Malchus' head? He was fulfilling the work of Satan. He was trying to stop it. Interesting concept, isn't it? So we, now think about this. This this is so much like us. We look at it and we think, oh, I am in the Mount of Olives. I'm ready, boy. You just bring them on. I'll cut every one of them's head off. He'll glue them back. Okay, and if they kill me, he'll raise me. Right? How many times have you got the perfect plan and yet forgot to ask, what does the king want? Here's my illustration of what I see today in the body of Christ. I see Christians all over the place who are looking for God's hand. I want to be a minister. Help me. And I'll run out here and I'll do this and I'll try that and I'll pray about this and I'll fast on this and I'll do this. How many times do you see people looking for his face? Because see, here's one of the things that I've learned the hard way. When I am looking at his face, I know what his will is. And I don't have to worry about whether he's going to help me or not. Because if I am in his will, then it is right on track. And yet Peter stood up and we all look at Peter and think, well, just give me a bigger sword, Lord. I'll whoop them all. What's Jesus' response? Put your sword back in its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think, here's the part. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Now think about it. One angel, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel. Do you know how many is in a legion? 
does it matter? <laughs> I've heard people say, well, according to Roman tradition, it don't matter. He could have brought one angel. And it is all taken care of. And that's basically what he's saying. You know what? You're going to help me? You, you really believe that you're going to help me? Look at verse 54. Okay, because see, you've got the crowd and the mob. You've got the, those who would betray, who, those who would deny. You've got the frail disciple who says, you know what, God, I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll fix it. Verse 54 says, how then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? You know why so many in the body of Christ today have no idea what God's will is? They've never read the book. The book will be fulfilled. Absolutely. It will be fulfilled. You don't get an option in it. He doesn't even ask you if you care. I will fulfill the book. Why? Because in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but not my word. The largest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. The largest chapter in the Bible is the book, the 119th Psalm. And you know what the emphasis of the 119th Psalm is? The word. You know what I'm thinking here? A pattern. What do you think? He's sort of hanging on that thinking, you know, this is kind of important. And yet when Jesus is there ready to go to these people, he's getting ready to have three trials by idiots. So that the scripture shall be fulfilled. Why? It's Good Friday. Actually, right here, we're talking late Thursday night. Late Thursday night. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day. I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. Look what he says now in verse 56. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. And then all of his disciples vanished. Okay, he's arrested. We all know what happens next. It's a long night. It's a long night. Okay, I wanted to share that with you because when you come tonight, do you understand why you came tonight? You know what's amazing about this? You came tonight because God knew exactly that you would be here tonight. That's fascinating to me. That is absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, he had the plan of redemption before he ever created. 
And what? Why? He wants to show his power. And he understood what his son was going to have to do. He understood that. Let me ask you a question. How about you? Do you understand what you have to do? You cannot be saved and not have a plan. The problem is it's not your plan. It's his plan. I want to move over another chapter. Chapter 27, verse 28. He's been arrested. Peter's denied him three times. He's been in front of Caiaphas. He's been in front of Annas. He's been in front of Pilate. Pilate trying to wash his hands of it. Even offers set him free to crucify a murderer named Barabbas. And the crowd says, no, give us Barabbas. Understand the two texts that I give you, 54 and 56, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. I remember sitting talking to a guy one time, and he was uh, very philosophical. I love them kind of people. And he asked me, he says, what would have happened if they'd have said, okay, free Jesus and crucify Barabbas. And the nation of Israel receives him as their king and Messiah. And he asked me, he says, so what do you think would have happened? I said, scripture wouldn't have been fulfilled. What? God said scripture would be fulfilled, which means at some point they'd have still crucified him. May have been next Easter. <laughs> they'd have still crucified him. They stripped him, verse 28, chapter 27. They stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his hand. He knelt down before him and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him. They took the reed and they began to beat him on the head. Think about that for a second. You got the crown of thorns on there. That would have been very comfortable. How somebody take something and beat on that crown of thorns? After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him. Did I tell you what they had done before they put the robe on? They had scourged him. Do you know what scourging is? It's leather strings with either brass or bronze or bone tied in knots on it. And it is literally meant to rip the hide off of something. And so they had did this on his back and then they put a robe on it. That'd be like a big bandage. And then they played games with him long enough that you would get some coagulation between the robe and the wounds. 
so that when they took it off, he would be very aware that it was taken off. They mocked him. Put on his old garments on his back on him. And they led him away to crucify him. As he was coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon. Had been there for the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. Whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. He was losing a lot of blood. Okay. Everybody says he was losing a lot of blood. No, he was in a lot of pain. I don't care what you say. Roman tradition says you carry a cross member and the poles are there. They nail you on the cross member, then they lay it on the pole, nail your feet on the pole, tie it, and then lift it up. I'll explain it to you in a few minutes. Okay? He came to a place of Golgotha, a place of the skull. They gave him wine to drink. Mixed with gall. All right, the gall mixed with wine was to numb you, was to make you um, a little incoherent. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. He knew what it was for. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. Oh, yeah. That was to fulfill Scripture. Above his head, they put the charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left, and those passing by hurling insults at him, abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come on down off the cross. The same way the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others, cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross. We will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now. He delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. From, okay, the robbers had been crucified with him, also were insulting him with the same words. Verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour, the sixth hour is noon. So sometime before noon, they hung him up on a cross. Darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. The ninth hour would be three o'clock. On the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, taking a sponge filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed Gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Okay? Now I want you to think about this for a second. Okay, they beat him. 
They've scourged him. His back is basically ripped wide open. And to use my grandfather's phrase, he's bleeding like a stuck pig. They stuck a crown of thorns on his head. And if you know anything about that, that gives a lot of blood. Your head is very, your scalp is very vascular and it will bleed a lot. They, he has been up for a while. He has been beaten. He's been spit on. He's been made fun of. They've mocked him. They hung a scarlet or, or a crimson robe on, a robe on him. He thought he was royalty. Try to wear this. And then they take him and they walk him out of the city to the place of the skull. He's weak. He's fatigued. He's hurting. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ was 100% man, which means that that pain was as painful as anything you have ever experienced. He didn't hurt different than you. It hurt. It hurt emotionally to have these people four days ago say, Hosanna to David. Now they want him dead. It hurt him to see Peter try to kill this guy. And he's already explained to Peter, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. It hurt him that the other 10 guys vanished. It hurt him that his friend betrayed him with a kiss. But I want to tell you about crucifixion. They take your body, they put a rope around your, had, had, would have been around your elbows where you would have carried the cross member to the point of your execution. That's why Jesus says you will bear your cross. Okay. Uh, my wife is my, no, it is the instrument of your execution. You will bear. They lay him down, the cross member on a board on a pole and they would take between the ulna and the radius and they would either drive a wooden peg a bronze peg a steel peg between the two immediately dislocating the wrist you also have this wonderful thing in there called the brachial nerve Okay, that's that part when you hit your funny bone, it makes your hand go numb. Comes from your brachial nerve. They drive one in each wrist and then they bend your feet down and through the arch of your foot, they will run another one. Then they will take and they will have two rings out on the outside where your hands are and they will take a rope and they will slide the down post into a pocket and then they will pull with ropes until it lifts up and as it lifts up then it slides down and falls into that pocket you bearing the weight on the pin in your feet and in your wrist that was crucifixion crucifixion was never designed to be efficient it was designed to make a statement I will crucify this city. I will crucify this town. And then they will learn not to do whatever they have done. Jesus Christ slid down in that hole, felt the full weight of his body on the arches of his feet through a 
spike. And on his wrist, And he did that for you and me. How pretty is your sin? Not my sin. How pretty is your sin? Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you have peace with God, then you get the byproduct is the peace of God. That's Good Friday. I have been justified by faith. I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's crazy stuff, people. The king dies for his people? What? No. Creator dies for creation. It's weirder than that. And I watch people... And I am guilty. He had to hang on the cross for me. I watch people who want to try to use psychology, who want to try behavior modification, who want to try all of this stuff. Well, if I could have a prettier wife, a better husband, a better job, more money, a bigger house, a smaller house, a faster car, a slower car, a bigger motorcycle, you name it, we'll chase it. And we think it will what? What will it do? It will mock the death of Jesus Christ. That's what it does. That's what it does. Now then, I want you to think about this for a second. Because we have this thing that we do. We call it the Lord's Table. The Last Supper. Uh, Some people call it communion. Okay? Do you know what communion is for? remembrance of me. So it's for. Do you know when it takes place? Just before he's arrested, tried, and murdered. We stand tonight justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Took a cross, took a crown of thorns, it took scourging. It it took the heartache of being betrayed. It took the heartache of seeing these eleven men vanish. You know, we, we always well Peter denied him three times. Well, you know what? At least Peter was close enough to deny him three times. The other ten weren't nowhere around. 
And yet you go back to the text that I gave you out of 26. You have the mob. I see a mob in the church today. And I see on certain days, hallelujah, Jesus. But why do I listen to you preach and I don't feel better? How many daily betray him? For less than 30 pieces of silver. I mean, silver prices are pretty good right now. but for less than 30 pieces of silver. How many, I am your disciple, but I'm going to do it my way. And the whole time Jesus stands and tells us it is to fulfill the Scriptures. Do you understand that? Do you understand? Let me give you a fulfilling of the Scriptures, a promise. You know, we, we always like God's promises. You're seeing they got little books that these are God's promises for you. Read these. Do you realize that there will come a time when men will not hear sound doctrine and will heap to themselves teachers that tickle their ears? Do you know what's amazing about that text? That's a promise. What about the promise that says in this life you will have tribulation what about the promise that says the world hated me first but they'll hate you also well i don't know about that and yet look at what we do we prostitute the gospel we prostitute the cross because we're trying to get people saved no I won't do it. You know, I've had people ask me, do you believe that the church will go through the great tribulation? And I said, I'm not. Well, but do you think the church? Well, I ain't. They said, why? I said, because they'll kill you for preaching the gospel and I'm not shutting up. So you can argue your theology all you want. They'll kill you for it and I ain't... My death will be a reward for me. So, I won't make the first three. Okay? Why? All I have to think about is that center post being raised up and then dropping 18 inches into that hole. And the weight of that man pulling on those nails in his feet and his hands. And then that phrase, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. The one thing that Jesus Christ endured that I can never, ever taste any form of. Why have you forsaken me? I'll never taste that. I may end up crucified. I may end up scourged. I may end up beaten. I may end up a, any number of ways to exit stage left. But there is one thing that I can never ever 
ever grasp or comprehend is to be separated from God the Father. That statement is for my sin. My sin. A phrase that we overlook on a regular basis is in the 27th chapter, verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Okay, we don't really pay much to that, but I want to tell you something about that verse. He ceased himself to exist. Is an appropriate translation for that. He stopped his life. No human being has that ability. I cannot stop my life. Can't. I can OD, but the drugs will stop my life. I didn't. I can shoot myself. The bullet will stop my life. I could be in a car crash, but the trauma of that impact will stop my life. But I cannot stop myself from living. And that verse says, He yielded his spirit. He stopped. Gives a whole new meaning to tell telestai. It is finished. Okay? And I'll remind you of this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's why it's Good Friday. Father, you paid a price. You, you, you paid a penalty. You paid a ransom that no human being could ever pay. And Father, you tell us that your son did it for the joy of it. The joy of pleasing his father. The joy of drawing the redeemed into the kingdom eternal. Thank you. Father, as we gather this night, this day, this time. We think that 2,000 years ago. You hung on a cross to be separated so that we would never have to be. Father, may your people who are called by your name understand that, lo, you are with us always, even to the end of the age, and that we have peace with you and the peace of you. And I praise you for this time. I praise you for these precious people and what they mean to my life. And Father, I pray that we will walk shoulder to shoulder so that day, our faith becomes sight. Christ's name. Amen.
Rejoice. He is alive. 